Luke chapter 22. Uh, Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read from verse 63 into the end of the chapter and then into the next chapter, 23 uh, to verse 25. The setting is the trial of Jesus. This is the last morning Jesus had before he was killed. The last few hours of Jesus. He, this is sort of after midnight maybe, before the night before he'd been arrested. Now he's at trial, and later this same day he'll be crucified. It's a dark passage. There's no hope in it. There's no light in it. And it reveals how much Christ suffered. And it shows us a window into the evil in this world. And that's what the Bible does sometimes. It just shows us how bad things are. And we have to remember as we go through this Easter season that this is all moving towards something. But you can't realize how great the resurrection it was until you realize how bad it was before that. Amen. And this passage is very clear on how bad the world is. So read with me. It's, a, it's a kind of a long passage. It'll be three settings. You'll see Jesus before the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious trial. Then he'll move to the Roman trial before Pilate. Then he'll be sent to the Jewish political leader, Herod, and then back to Pilate. So the trial before the Jews, first trial before Pilate, trial before Herod, back to Pilate. So it's, it's all in Jerusalem. It's in two locations, three locations. And it's Jesus on trial for his life. So read in verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one that struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him in, into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the, of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. This was because the Jews were not allowed to execute anybody. They had to take him to Rome, Roman government, for the execution. Then the whole multitude led him to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, this is the same Herod who cut John the Baptist's head off. His father tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracles done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. 
Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I'll therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So so Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. This is what people would call kangaroo court. It's not justice. It's not a trial. It's a procedure to get what you want from a political system. But what's even more important about this It tells us who people are and who Jesus is in response to that. So we're going to see three things in this passage. We're going to see justice, or lack thereof, power, and identity. Justice, power, and identity. The first part, we see justice or injustice, really. We have to be careful when we read this to realize what is happening. This is not an example of evil. This is the epitome and the perfection of God on trial. And when God himself is on trial, who would come out to oppose him? The power of darkness. So sometimes we think, well, here's an example of bad things. No, this is the example. Just as God summoned all of his person into the the body of Christ, Christ himself as God stands on trial So Satan stands against them. Jesus said this. He said, this is your hour, religious leaders, and the power of darkness. You can believe that Satan was here. So when we see Jesus on trial, this is the trial of the universe. This is the trial of eternity. This trial is more important than the one we focus on, which is the great judgment seat. You see, in the end times, people will be on trial. And it'll be a big deal. But this is worse. This is God on trial. Every other trial falls beneath this one. So when we look at what happens here, we can be assured that God is present and that evil is present in its fullest form. And as a result, it becomes a model for all lesser forms of evil, all lesser forms of injustice. What happens here was given to us to show what injustice looks like. And so we have certain things that we see. Marks of injustice. 
What does injustice look like? What happens around injustice? How can we recognize it? Well, we see what happens to Jesus, and we can recognize it in our world. Now, I tried to get a different count, but they came out to nine. So it's nine marks of injustice. I'm a big nine marks fan. No, but this is nine marks of injustice. Marks of injustice. When we see these things, we should look for injustice happening because it happened to Christ already. What's the first thing? Look at verse 63. Now, the men who held Jesus, the men who are guarding, who are supposed to be holding him for trial, mocked him. He hadn't been convicted yet. He hadn't been proven that he'd done anything wrong. You see, guards are to protect the prisoner, aren't they? Justice says you can't be punished until you're convicted. But here is injustice, and it's introduced by mocking. Spectacle. When you see people made light of, demeaned, made fun of, watch out. Because that's how Jesus' injustice began. Dehumanizing. Laughing at pointing out people to make a mock of them. It doesn't always mean laughing. Sometimes it can just be entertainment. You should look what Herod did. Herod questioned him. Herod had no fear of Jesus. And so when Jesus wouldn't answer him, then Herod with his men of war treated him with contempt and mocked him. They're showing this man is nothing. Mocking is what Satan does to Jesus. So when you see people mocking, that's not the work of God. But it's very common, isn't it? It's very common. It's so common that we're all guilty of it. How many of us watch trials? O.J. Simpson, Trayvon Martin. Not for justice, for entertainment. Spectacle. Herod brings Jesus... Not to learn, not to find out if he's guilty, but to see some miracle. So we watch people stand on the witness stand and give testimony, and we mock them. We eat popcorn while we watch them talk of life and death. Entertainment is everything. Spectacle. But look what Jesus shows us. That's the mark of people who don't care about justice. Violence. They beat him. Guards beating their prisoner. If only it were 2,000 years ago. I saw a video this week of guards beating prisoners. I was in Iraq in a detention facility. American soldiers beating prisoners. This is America. And it's injustice. And we can recognize it because of the violence around it. So when you see violence, look out for injustice. Because that's what happened to Jesus, who stood peacefully didn't resist, absorbed the abuse. So we look out for violence. Fear-based arguments. They come, they come to him. They didn't like, the Jews said, he's, the, he's blaspheming God. He says he's the son of God, so he should die. That's not what they said to Pilate. To Pilate, they said, be afraid of this guy because he's perverting the nation. He's stirring up trouble. He's taking power. Watch out. He's going to get you. He's going to take stuff from you. Be afraid of Jesus, because if you're afraid of Jesus, what any good Roman will do is kill Jesus. So when you see arguments based on fear, 
Watch out for injustice after that. Because if people are afraid of something, and if they're afraid enough, they'll do anything. That's what this mob is doing. Mobs are whipped up by fear, and then justice is forgotten. So they tried to create a a feeling of fear for Pilate. Even later, they said directly to him, Pilate said, I want to let him go. They said, if you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar. Now that phrase right there was, it's a historical phrase. It was an official title given to people, friend of Caesar. To have it taken away means you're an enemy of Caesar. So when Pilate wouldn't do what they wanted, they said, fine, you should be afraid for your life. And Pilate was. He said, oh, don't go that far. I'll do whatever you want. So injustice follows fear. Prejudice. Look in verse 67. If you are the Christ, tell us. But Jesus said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. You already have the verdict in mind. You already know what you want. And you'd like me to confirm it. So no matter what I say, you already know what is true. When you see people who know the truth before the truth comes out, injustice can follow. Verdicts before trials, strongly held opinion, you know what's going on before the truth. Watch out for injustice. Because if you already know what's true, you don't care what happens as long as it matches your verdict. And that's what's happening to Jesus here. If also I ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. It doesn't matter what the person says. It doesn't matter what facts come out. It doesn't matter about the trial, the truth, or anything. All that matters is that the prejudice is confirmed. And that works across all levels. Rich, poor, racial divides, national divides, behavior divides, character testimonies. If you can make the person look like a bad guy, then it's easy to convict him as a bad guy. And so Jesus shows us that prejudice breeds injustice. Sympathy, but no sacrifice. It's funny the three statements here. Peter had three statements. Peter, the follower of Jesus. Three statements. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. I have nothing to do with him. But Pilate has three statements too. And compared to Peter's, they're not bad. Pilate stood in front of the mob and three times said, this man is innocent. I I don't want him to die. I stand with Jesus. That's what Pilate said. He said, I'm standing next to Jesus. He's, He's right. You're wrong. Isn't that what Peter should have done? He should have said to these people, I'm with Jesus. He's right. Pilate did it. And you think, oh, good. Pilate's justice. No. Pilate wasn't willing to give up anything. He gave lip service, but he wouldn't sacrifice. This happens a lot, especially in politics, where you want to look sympathetic. You said, oh, I feel your pain, but do something about it? No, 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 no. I I want the right thing to happen. I want justice to be served. This man's innocent, but I'm not actually going to do anything about it. I'm not going to step out on anything. So just because someone says the right thing doesn't mean justice is served. Just because they speak truth doesn't mean justice is there. So we have to beware of people saying the right thing, speaking truth, and doing nothing. 
The mob didn't care what Pilate said as long as he did what they wanted. And so often Christians say, as long as we say the right thing, that's all that's required of us. No. Because mobs don't care about what you say. They care about what you do. They wanted to kill Jesus. And Pilate could say all the nice things he wanted as long as he killed him. And so injustice comes at the hand of sympathetic people who do nothing. Negotiations. Look at Pilate negotiating. Why is he negotiating? He already knows the truth. Why won't he just do what's right? When you hear someone say, this is right, but let's talk about how we can work a compromise. No. There's no compromise between truth and something else. But Pilate's saying, look, he's innocent, but I'll just beat him. I'll just chastise him, I'll beat him, and I'll hand him back. Is that good enough? Would that make you happy? You cannot compromise with injustice. When the mob calls for blood, you can't say, well, just a little blood. They want it all. Negotiations can't happen between justice and injustice. Seventh, Jesus is made a pawn of bigger issues. Notice the first thing they said to to Pilate. We found this fellow perverting the nation. The whole country's at stake. The whole country's at stake. You wouldn't let one guy stand in the way of the whole country, would you? Whether you think he's guilty or not, the nation needs you to stand up and put this man to death. The needs of the many over the needs of the one. That's a sign of injustice. The greater good sacrificed the smaller good. No, that's injustice. Then where they say, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. You want to see injustice? Follow the money. Follow the money. Money and injustice go hand in hand. Economic problems and social issues go hand in hand. Jesus didn't say money is the root of all evil for no reason. The love of money. See, Rome loved money. And the Jews said, if we tell them that Jesus is taking their money, they'll kill him. Injustice and people seeking injustice will try to attack your wallet. He's telling them to take money away from you. You're going to lose money if you let him go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Money? No, we can't have that. So sacrifice this one person for the sake of the economy, for the sake of work, jobs, savings, bank accounts. That's injustice. Pawns of law and order. He's perverting the nation. He's, he said, goes, and when, when Pilate wouldn't do it, they said he stirs up the people. He causes unrest. There are protests out there. People are stirred up. They're not doing what, they're not obeying like they should. You see what they're appealing to? Kill this one man to establish law and order. That's the history of this criminal justice system in the world. What do we need to do to keep law and order? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. How do we perpetuate justice? Not law and order. You see, if they killed Jesus, their claim was peace will be restored. Order will be restored. And it may have. That may have been true. But Pilate should have said, I'm not here for order. 
not here for peace. I'm here for justice. And so they make Jesus a pawn of bigger issues. Now, sometimes we look at this and we say, this mob. It's easy to see a mob perpetuating injustice, isn't it? Torches, pitchforks. It's not who these people were. These were the chief priests and scribes. These were the most educated, the most respectable, and the most moral people in the country. They were the ones who were trying to kill Jesus. They were the ones well-dressed, well-spoken, well-mannered, well-versed in Scripture, attending regularly to the house of worship, trying to perpetuate injustice. Don't let respectability blind you to evil. We think evil comes with evil-looking people. No. Well-dressed people perpetuate evil far more than evil-looking people. If you ever watch The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, there's the little hobbits and they're small and, they're not, and, and the, the ranger, Aragorn, comes to find them. They never met him before. And he's rough-looking. And they, they follow him. They're not sure if they could trust them. They said, how do we know if we can trust them? Now, I'm, I'm trying to remember the quote now. I don't have my, my notes. They said, I think if he was evil, he would look fairer but smell fouler. Because he looked rough. But they said an evil person would look better. An evil person would dress up because you respect somebody in a suit. You respect somebody with a clean-cut haircut. You respect someone who has good grammar. You respect someone who goes to church. That describes the Pharisees. The men who put Jesus to death were the most respectable people. Don't trust respectable people. Trust people who pursue justice. You see, if you had seen this, if you'd seen a picture of this, you see Jesus alone, bloodied, and a group of respectable, law-abiding citizens. Who would you side with? To be honest, we'd side with the respectable-looking people. And yet that's how injustice perpetuates. Watch the Nazis. You don't see a poorly-dressed Nazi, do you? You see poorly dressed Jews, but the Nazis were spick and span. Because evil comes like Satan as an angel of light. And the followers of Satan mimic that style. And finally, we see public pressure. Pilate caved because of the people, because of the pressure. Now, I'm going to give you a word from God you can't trust politicians. You can't trust politicians. You shouldn't trust a single person in power. They do what they need to do to stay in power. Amen. And what they're going to do is they're going to say what the people want. And you think they believe it. And maybe some do. I don't know. That's the thing. You can't tell who believes it and who's just saying it. You see, when you say don't trust someone, it doesn't mean that they're lying. Just means you don't know. Are all politicians liars? I don't know. But some are. And all are motivated by power. And they will say back to you what you want to hear. So when you hear a politician saying the things that you think are true, don't say, there's a man standing up for truth. There's a man standing up for his own power. Now, that doesn't mean he can't do good things. 
Many politicians can do things despite their own motivations. That's not the point. It's that you see Pilate bending to the will of the people. You see, it wasn't just, it was the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. Pilate saw the winds of change. And he said, what'll make the people happy? I'll give them what they want. Don't trust people in power. They're too susceptible to doing what it takes to stay in power. It's the whole story of the Bible. David, Solomon, Peter, high priest, Pilate, but not Jesus. You see Jesus here? Herod says, puts him on trial for a long time. Jesus doesn't say a word. That's the kind of person you trust. Not the one who's constantly bending to public pressure to achieve power. So we see injustice. The next thing we see is power. Pilate asked Jesus in verse 3. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, remember who's asking. Pilate is not a Jew. He doesn't care about the Old Testament. He doesn't care about religion. What's he asking? What's your political agenda? Pilate's a, we know a lot about Pilate, actually, from other places in history. He was a career politician. He actually killed himself later because he was disgraced by uh, Caesar. He wanted to know, Jesus, who'd you vote for? What's your political campaign? What's your policy? Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? What would Jesus answer? Now, the translation here is difficult. If you look in your New, New King James, there's some words in italics. In the Greek, it says, you say. Well, what? Yes or no? Pilate said, are you a political operative? Are you running for office? And Jesus gave an, an ambiguous answer. He didn't say yes or no. Why? Because Jesus didn't cater to people. He didn't let people dictate the terms. We understand it. If, so, if I said to you, have you stopped cheating on your taxes? Yes or no? No, I'm not going to answer that question. Well, oh, why not? Because either way is wrong. So when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? A yes or no answer would have been wrong. You see this in John chapter 18, where Jesus says to Pilate, are you asking or did someone tell you to ask that? There's the real thing. What does this even mean? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, you say, whatever you say. So Pilate said to the chief priest, I find no fault in this man. He's not political. Isn't it interesting that the Jews were afraid of Jesus, but Pilate was not? The, the religious leaders were afraid, but the political leaders weren't. Pilate couldn't find a political reason to get rid of Jesus. You know how bad the Roman government was? You know how oppressive it was? And yet they couldn't convict Jesus of political operations. And they tried really hard. But they couldn't do it. Would the same be true about us? Could we stand before Rome and not be convicted of political agendas? Why was this the case? Because Jesus says, I'm not here for Rome. Am I the king of the Jews? Yes and no. I'm not here to fight Rome. I'm here to take over the universe. So yeah, I am the king, but not like you think I am. Jesus says, you got your eyes on the Roman Empire. I don't have time for that. 
I've got my eyes on the universe. So what do you mean by king? I'm not here to go head-to-head with Caesar. I'm here to go head-to-head with Satan. And so Pilate, I don't have time for you. Do what you've got to do. If I were to fight, my servants would fight for me. But my kingdom's not of this world. Christians, you realize that's our kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. We speak out for justice, but we don't put our money in the government. We don't stand on trial for the government. We don't stand on trial for politics. You see, what is political power? It's coercion. The ability to control. The ability to make people do what you want them to do. Tax them, put them in jail, kill them, put them on trial, publicly shame them. How do we get people to do what they want? And that's what Pilate wanted to know. Jesus, how are you going to force people to follow you? I need to know. I'm in charge of this region. And Jesus says, I'm not here to make anybody do anything. I'm not here to make anybody do anything. Pilate, you can kill me. That's how much free will you have. I'm not here to force anyone to do anything. I'm not a political operative. Politics is about self-promotion. What is mocking? It's displaying your superiority over somebody. The political climate in America is unchristian, and the Christians that participating in it are unchristian. To mock your political opponent is to attempt to approve that you're better than them and that they cannot answer your ridiculous claims, that they are too dumb, that they're too weak, that they're too helpless, that they're too wrong, that they are a joke. We have to own them. We have to destroy them. This is the words that Christians use to speak of political operatives. Mocking them. How many memes do you see? How many pictures do you see with ridiculous expressions on the opponent's face? They don't take normal pictures of Trump, of Schumer. They get ridiculous pictures so that you can laugh at them. Because politics is all about making yourself look good and everyone else look bad. What happens here? The Jews said, look at us, we're good. Look at him, he's dumb. Pilate said, I'm the good guy here. I'll do the right thing. What is it that you want me to do? Herod said, I'm in charge. Do some miracle for me. Jesus did nothing. Jesus says, I don't play those games. I'm not here to make myself look good. You see, there's a fear of loss in politics. You get people to do things by a fear of loss. Uh, Edgar Schein, who was a MIT sociologist, unbeliever, he had four things that he said people are afraid of. See how many I can remember? He said they're afraid of change because they fear they're going to lose their identity. Who am I if I lose? If my group loses, who am I? They're afraid of looking incompetent. They don't want to look dumb. And so they protect themselves. You see, Pilate didn't want to look dumb in front of everybody. Herod didn't want to look dumb, and when Jesus wouldn't answer him, Herod mocked him to make him look dumb. There's fear of losing. Fear of losing money is one of them. And that's what politics operates on. 
The world wants to make you afraid of losing something, so you'll give them what they want. Injustice in the world, Stuart says, another uh, theologian says, that if you want to control people, create a narrative that makes them look scary. And then the rest of the people will do your work for you. That's what's happening here. Politics is built on control. It's built on superiority. It's built on fear. In other words, it's the system of this world. And who is the God of this world? Satan. And that's what this trial is about. It's putting Satan on display, and it's putting Jesus on display. Jesus says, I'm not going to play your political games. My kingdom is not of this world. I don't care who gets elected right now. I've got bigger things to deal with. Now, you see the balance that Christian life is? We care about justice. We speak out when we see injustice. But we don't put our hope in politics. Amen. We don't feel the need to win. See, that's where the corruption comes in, when you need to win. Because then you'll do what you have to do to win. Jesus didn't need to win. He said, I'm already going to die, because that's the way things are. And I don't play things by this world. See, Jesus brought a different rule in, a universal rule, not a political, local one. He didn't need to get American government on track. He's getting the universe on track. He didn't need to fight. He brought peace. Never have you seen a more peaceful man than Jesus on this trial. Doesn't even speak up for himself. He lets the abuse happen to him because he's about peace, not about violence. And he brings about change, not coercion. Pilate said, what's your agenda to get people to do what you want? And he said, nothing. I'm going to make them want to do what I want. I'm going to change their hearts. I'm going to change them, not control them. When you see people trying to control other people, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. But when you see people change, that is Christianity. Jesus wants our hearts, not just political power. And we as Christians are to do what? Follow Jesus. That's the last thing here is identity. Identities are on display here. The whole point of this trial was to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? They asked him questions, who are you? They already had ideas, but they wanted to know. The first thing, son of man. He said, I'm the son of man. Hereafter, the son of man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. He is a man. He's a human. The epitome of humanity. Not just a man, the son of man who judges. See, it's not an outsider judging us. It's a jury of our peers. Justice is someone who knows you judging you. And so Jesus became a human so that he could judge humans. He says here, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of power. Picture the scene. Jesus beaten, bloodied, humiliated, facing 71 men on this trial. And he says, you're judging me now, but I'm going to judge you later. I look like a nobody now, but you'll stand before me in the future when I sit next to God. The right hand of the power of God. And they knew what he said. They said, are you then... The Son of God? Because no one else sits on the throne of God. No one else sits on the right hand of God except the Son of God. And he said, you rightly say that I am. Jesus was both the Son of Man and the Son of God. 
100% human, judging us as our peer, 100% God, divinely perfect, and he's on trial. He says, I'm on trial now, but you'll be on trial later. We are on trial now. What do we do with Jesus? Do we submit or rebel? You see, it's not enough to be like Pilate and say, well, he's a good man. He's perfect. Will you bend the knee to Jesus? You see, he says, I am the Christ. They told Pilate, he himself is Christ, a king. Jesus says, yes, I am, in ways you can't imagine. And what does the king expect? Submission. Now, we don't have to submit. God does not force us to. But he will judge us for it. And as Christians, we have submitted to Jesus. But if you haven't submitted to Jesus, you're not a Christian. No matter how nice you are, no matter how sacrificial you are, you're not a Christian. Until you kneel before Christ and completely give up power to him, you're one of the Pharisees. You're one of the Roman guards. You're Pilate. You're Barabbas. Isn't it interesting that switch of identity here? Jesus, on trial, Pilate and Herod both say, men who had no stake in this, this is how we know the Bible is true, they couldn't care less about Jesus. And they're both like, he's innocent. I can't find a single thing wrong with this guy. And, and those, they were the most paranoid people in the world. <laughs> Caesar said of the Herods, better to be one of their cows than one of their children. They killed their own family. Pilate massacred people who were trying to worship in Samaria. He sent his cavalry to run them down because they were worshiping in the wrong place. That's Pilate. This is the same Pilate. Herod cut John the Baptist's head off. And they're like, Jesus is fine. I can't find anything politically wrong with him. Now, religiously, there's plenty of things that they would have opposed. But politically, it wasn't. Barabbas, on the other hand, was exactly what they said Jesus was. A revolutionary... And he was also a murderer. And you see the evil revealed. They said, release to us Barabbas. Not Jesus, Barabbas. Why? Tom Skinner said, they wanted Barabbas because they could control Barabbas. Barabbas would kill a few people, but they could control him in the end. They couldn't control Jesus. And they want to get rid of him. Nothing has changed. You either submit to Jesus or you try to kill him. But Jesus said, it's okay, Barabbas, you're terrible, but I'll take your place. Barabbas is in jail knowing he's going to be crucified, knowing that that's what happens to people like him. And he hears them shouting out there, crucify him, crucify him. And Barabbas thinks, this is it. This is the end caught. I hear them. The guards come for him. And they said, you're free to go. And Barabbas says, wait, why? And the guard says, I don't know. That guy over there is going to die for you. Literally, Barabbas looks to Jesus on the cross and said, that should have been me. And Jesus says, it's okay. I got it. You go, Barabbas. And you don't hear Barabbas anymore. Why? Because who cares about Barabbas? I want to hear about Jesus who paid for Barabbas' sins, who was crucified for Barabbas. 
You see, that's what this passage offers us. You can be a murderer. Jesus will die for you. When Jesus takes our sins, he takes our identity and then dies. And he offers us his identity. The identity of someone who is perfect, proven innocent by the court, yet a convicted criminal. And Barabbas walks free, though guilty. So we, though guilty, walk free. We became sinners because we tried to take God's place. We tried to be in charge. And God saves us by taking our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what this story is offering us, a switch in identity. If you take Jesus' identity, you'll be free. But if you take your own identity, you'll die. And Jesus says, I've already done it. Just give up. If you just give up and follow me, all your sins are gone. For those of us who have done that, do you realize that we now are Christ? Christ in us. Christ who is our life. So when it says follow Jesus, of course you follow Jesus. Of course you follow the one who became sin for you. Of course you follow the one who died for you. You must now identify with Jesus. If your family member was killed in a car wreck, and you met somebody else who was in a car wreck. That's different, isn't it? You identify with that person. What does it mean to be a Christian? Look at Jesus, who is your identity, and look how he was treated. Look who he was. Jesus is an ex-convict. He is a convicted criminal. Unjustly so, but still a criminal. So we as Christians see people being abused. And what is our first reaction? That looks like Jesus. See, we want to say, no, 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 tell me the facts first. No. Identify with Jesus and you're going to identify with people who went through what Jesus went through. You see, our first reaction to people is, ah, looks like they did the wrong thing. How do you know? We're okay with ex-convicts being treated like second-class citizens. Do you know how many innocent convicts there are? They're proven every, all, all the time, exonerated. If you identify with Jesus, when you see a, an ex-convict, you think that's what Jesus would have been if he had lived. How can you push that person aside? How can you feel superior to someone who has the same social status as Jesus? You see, identifying with Jesus, you can't be like Pilate and say, he's the best, he's the greatest, but that doesn't mean anything to me. Identifying with Jesus means always identifying with Jesus. It means standing up to the courts when the courts are wrong. It means standing up to the people when the people are wrong. It means standing up to your family when your family is wrong. It means standing with Jesus no matter how bad it looks. And it means standing with people for Jesus. He reconciled us to God, and now we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And if your reconciliation ministry only deals with the spiritual, and in the, in the physical world you don't seek reconciliation, that doesn't match. That's not Christianity. 
You can't care deeply about someone's soul and not care about the rest of their life. Jesus died as a man with a body. Could you look at Jesus being beaten, mocked, blindfolded, crucified, and say, well, it's okay. Spiritually, it's fine. No, what would you do if you saw Jesus? You would weep. Now, can you look at other people who suffer and not weep? Have you identified with Jesus? You must bend your knee before the person of Jesus Christ and then follow him. And he will change your heart. You'll become more loving, more caring, more submissive, more sacrificial. In other words, more like Jesus. Let's pray.